Welcome to 2020, the era of innovation. The Automation Alliance podcast brought to you by RapidMation. Hi there, and welcome to the 11th episode of the Automation Alliance podcast. Uh, we're both honored and privileged to have an ex-colleague and good friend of mine, Murray McDonald. And uh, Murray is the co-founder and CTO and COO of an exciting new company called Just Auto Insurance. Murray, welcome to the podcast. Yeah, thank you, Sean. Great to be here. So Murray, I mean, I, when I came across your profile and we were discussing who we we're going to interview next on the podcast, you were a home run for us in terms of some of the things you've got involved in recently. Um, and I think it's always good to start with the story, right, and the journey you've been on. So, I mean, I know you've kind of had an exciting career, which is a good blend of technologist and innovator. So, yeah, let's start there. Tell us a bit more about that and kind of where you've come from. And, uh, yeah, let's start there. Sure. Well, um, you know, Sean, very much like you, came over from um, from uh, South Africa to uh, to to the UK. Um, you know, bright-eyed and, bush- and bushy-tailed, uh, and you know, worked my way through uh, finance uh, technology, where I clearly met you, um, and insurance. And you know, I've always, you know, from a very very young age, uh, you know, had a real love for for technology um, and for fixing things, uh, and you know. Working in technology has always been a great, um, you know, tool to allow you to allow one to to fix things. And insurance, as an industry, just generally speaking, has been pretty broken for a long time. Mm-hmm. So you know, perfect mix uh, for 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 me um, to uh, to to really you know satisfy my my own needs. Yeah, I hear you, right? And it's quite interesting because I remember at the beginning of your journey, I mean, you spent probably around a decade at two very specialist insurance companies. One of those was the Bermuda-based company Aspen, um, and then another was a Lloyds of London syndicate called Neon, but formerly it was in those days, I believe, called Marketform. Is that correct? That's absolutely right. That's absolutely right. So I'll start off with uh, with Neon and, uh, and Lloyds. So, you know, yeah, insurance started at Lloyd's London in 1686, right? So just to put that in, into perspective for some of your Australian um, listeners, you know, 84 years later, James Cook sailed on the east coast of Australia to map it, right? Uh, it's pretty crazy. Um, you know, and you know, Lloyd's you know, has in the past really shunned technology as it's a very face-to-face um, a marketplace. You know, I think that the, you know, Lloyd's has generally been very innovative in terms of you know, the types of insurance they can actually offer, but it's back office, uh, back office operations and the way that it actually, you know, does business has always been, you know, uh, you know, a little bit, um, a little bit backwards. And with competition coming in from the Far East, from Europe, Bermuda and the US, you know, Lloyd's has really had to um, modernize and, you know, get more efficient and of course, uh, of course, the you know the use of uh, technology became more and more important during 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 that during that time. Um, and uh, you know, leaving the technology like space, uh, you know, I kind of saw that opportunity, saw the opportunity as well. You know, Markform was a really good, really good fit uh, for me as an ex-client of mine as well. I might add. Um, <laughs> Uh, you know, really, really nice, uh, really nice folk. Um, and, you know, clearly, you know, their leadership, you know, saw, saw 
the use of technology as a as a differentiator for for them to to really drive their operational efficiencies. Yeah, I mean, I, I couldn't agree more. I mean, thinking back to those days, I mean, they were very innovative at that stage, and that was led by yourself and some of the great team members and colleagues you had at Market Form. Um, and specifically, I remember a pattern that we were often talking to customers about in those days, and that was around this concept of case management, right? Um, and it's quite funny because I fast forward to today, and I'm already working with some of our legal customers on an intelligent case management platform. And it often makes me think back over a decade ago to in those days where we were implementing similar patterns, right? Um, exactly. So, so I guess it's called intelligent case management now. Back in those days, we just simply called it case management, but I guess it's, it's evolved in 10 years. Um, but I remember you guys had a really good product that you created or offering that you created in those days. And I believe uh, you referred to it as Alfred. Is that correct? That's right. It was Alfred, my, uh, a good old friend. Yeah, Alfred. We, we kind of, the reason why that uh, Alfred came about is we wanted to wanted it to be like the name of an assistant, basically, right? And uh, uh, Alfred seems to seems to fit the bill. But um, you know, uh, yeah, Alfred in those days, or case management, was quite quite a relatively new new concept there. But you know, if you if you had a look at how um, how work was being done in you know Lloyd's of London syndicates during during those days. You know, the deal was basically, or the risk was basically um, uh, underwritten at, in the Lloyd's of London building between face-to-face between a broker and an underwriter, right? Um, and literally, wads of paper were passed from person to person. Those wads were put under arms, right? Um, walked back to the office before those uh, pieces of paper were either photocopied or and made their way basically around the back office of these of these organizations and but if you think if you kind of abstract that that is actually case management you know it's the case or you know the managing that piece of work that needed to be that needed to be done there were tasks involved but of course the actual processing of that was very very manual very, very manual indeed so a lot of rekeying into different uh, different systems, or maybe no systems at all. You know, going to um, you know photocopying. You remember that? You know, <laughs> instead of uh, you know, uh, thankfully there was no fax uh, and so on. But anyway, the you know very very manual in nature. And what we did is we just digitized that digitized those processes. So you know, quite clearly, you know, by making it digital, so. At you know in the Lloyd London building, you know the underwriter could hand over to the assistant. The assistant would scan in the whole uh, all the documents that would immediately appear in the tasks of the uh, of the back office. They could immediately start working on it. And due to that digitization as well, what that allowed us to do is to really optimize the process to skip out a few steps that we didn't need to do. You know, really you know drive a lot of efficiencies and so on. You know, add a lot more. Um, you know, value and, um, you know, error, you know, reducing errors as you're kind of going through that process as well. And, you know, we took great big, you know, swathes of time out of um, processing these, uh, processing these, uh, these risks. You know, we started off in the, you know, on the underwriting side, and then we moved to the claims claim side as well. And actually, um, I'm sure you remember as well. You know, we actually won an award with Alfred, with Al- uh, Alfred as well. So, um, you know, thoroughly enjoyed that uh, free trip out to Las Vegas. 
Yeah. No, I, I remember that well, right? I was a bit jealous at the time, but I think it was definitely <laughs> deserved. Um, yeah, I mean, I just I love that story with Dolphin and, and that case management pattern. I mean, it just shows that that's kind of stood the test of time. And that is such a common pattern that we see nowadays, specifically in insurance and in legal customers. Um, and I believe that Alfred was built on the K2 platform. Was that correct? Yes, that's absolutely that, that. That's absolutely right. It was basically the the business process management engine that sat behind that sat behind everything. Yeah, awesome. So it's quite funny because at the recent uh, K2 Fast Forward event, there was a great session around intelligent case management that um, the the new chief product officer Burley uh, and Igor Jurisovich, you know well from from our mm-hmm. old K2 days, they ran that session. It was a really great session showcasing some of the great capabilities that K2 have now baked into the product from an intelligent case management perspective. Um, so I know we've already shown that to a few customers and people love it for, for those types of patterns of work, right? Um, but the one thing I wanted to quiz you on is because obviously in terms of our company and how we've moved on, we talk about humans and software bots working together, right? And software mm-hmm. bots are these digital process assistants. And I love how you phrased Alfred was he was just your assistant there to help you, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and in our software bot world, we use technology like robotic process automation, uh, which does the clicks that you and I as humans would do on a screen. But the whole idea, this technology can help you do the tedious, mundane, repetitive tasks. And what it actually allows us to do as humans is it frees up our time to perform higher value tasks. So, I mean, thinking back then, we didn't have RPA, um, but would you think that RPA would tie nicely into Alfred and would that have helped you out in those days? Oh, oh uh- Look, you know, it, it, you know I, I regularly do this, um, unfortunately, torture myself. You know, what, what would, uh, how would we have done it differently if we had the technology of today, right? And I think, you know, RPA is a great example where, um, you know, there's a lot of value that you can get out of a process, uh, uh, you know, out of these processes. And we would have absolutely have, you know, put a lot of RPA into those same processes that we were looking to, you know, provide, uh, you know, this kind of like digital, uh, digital case management um, uh, capability, capability to, because kind of as we went through that journey, of course, you know, the first thing we tried to do is we tried to digitize that same process. We then said, okay, actually we are seeing here because we've now got data as well, that these areas are taking long. So we put, you know, more, effort into reorganizing those parts of the uh, of the process and you know adding a little bit more uh, you know uh, automation or assistance there to those ones and so on but what became apparent as well was you know there were tasks that were very mundane and there were tasks that needed a lot of judgment and those mundane tasks basically in those days were simply you know corralled or put into part and given to, you know, uh, administrative type type roles, as opposed to the, uh, you know, the other role, uh, the other tasks, which needed a lot of human input, which were then given to, given to, you know, uh, resources with specialist knowledge or whatever. So, and I think that, you know, going through that process and so on, there were many occasions where those, more kind of mundane tasks nowadays would absolutely, you know, be able to be pushed through to 
uh, uh, pushed through to RPA. And I think, um, you know, working at Aspen was when I really, you know, that re- the penny really would kind of like dropped with regards to that, with regards to that as well. Yeah. And it's funny you mentioned Aspen because a word we hear commonly nowadays is something called hypergrowth, right? And and looking at that Aspen business, I mean, it went through some pretty amazing growth, right? And, and I think from memory, it went from nothing to something like $4 billion in gross written premium in 13 years, right? So, I mean, that's pretty phenomenal Absolutely growth. correct. And, uh, and that growth, I believe, was a blend of acquisition of these small underwriting teams, perhaps some larger acquisitions, obviously yes. organic growth across the existing business. And the result was actually a mashup of about 250 different solutions across Europe, the US, uh, Asia Pac, and both the company and the technology was extremely siloed, right? So Correct. I guess what that led to was operational expenditure, tracked with the revenue as the complexity rose, and that obviously started to reduce the margins further and further, right? So mm-hmm. as, I, as I remember, I believe you were the, the enterprise solutions architect at Aspen in those days, were you? Yes, I was the guy carrying the can, which was great. <laughs> um, no, I, you know, I think that, you know, I, I think a lot of businesses, you know, who experience this, this, this hyper growth get into this kind of like issue, right? Where, you know, the, you know, l- leaders are very focused on, on growth, very focused on how they can, you know, get more, bi- get more business in and so on. And, you know, particularly that kind of strategy that Aspen followed where they were bringing in a lot of kind of like new teams right so you know if we wanted to provide uh, i'm just giving an arbitrary example uh, here you know um you know inland marine you know in the us right we would go and get a inland marine team you know underwriter assistance systems and all from either another carrier or from um uh, you know fr- you know you know from from someone else basically and, and get their team in bring that team in with all their processes and everything. And so what happened is that, you know, you had a situation where you had many, many, many duplicates of exactly the same thing, right? And if you, if you abstract all these things away, insurance is really insurance, right? Um, And, you know, but each of these teams would be very protective over the way that they do it. We're different. We do things differently, you know, our market is differently, uh, like works differently. We want our people, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And unfortunately, as you rightly pointed out, you know, revenue was going gangbusters. It's so, so it costs, right? Expenditure was tracking the same. But of course, as you grow, though that you can't do that anymore. Yeah. What happens is costs start to, you know, start to, because you've got central costs as well, of course. And, the cost started to grow and the margin started to be squeezed. And now, of course, it was a case of trying to unpick the spaghetti, <laughs> right? And trying to make, um, you know, the business just more, more efficient. And, um, yeah, I think that one of the, you know, real lessons that I learned at, uh, at Aspen was not to kind of like boil the ocean, yeah. right? Like, yeah, what's what Aspen tried to do is they tried to do everything that they could do all at one time. So 
you know, they were doing the right things. Don't, don't get me wrong. They tried to first define all their processes. They then tried to, you know, work more like a factory and centralize those processes, which were common. They then wanted to identify, uh, you know, areas of the business where there were more mundane or, you know, administrative tasks, right? Group those and outsource them. They wanted to use technology to actually uh, facilitate the um, automation and the uh, uh, the efficiencies and automation the the uh, giving the tasks out to the to the outsourcers uh, outsourcers as well, right? But really, the approach that they took there was they tried to do literally everything all at one time across the entire and across the entire business, and you know it was a really 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 challenging uh, challenging uh, challenging time for. Uh, uh, for 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 everyone, uh, uh, really, um, uh, definitely myself as well. Uh, I in- included uh, included included in there. Yeah, and then I, I guess just kind of tying back to the tying to the uh, tying back to the kind of the RPA um, question that we that you that you kind of posed to me for 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 Neon. You know the we you know as you rightly pointed out, there's 250 different systems. Right. And if you think back to like what I said about neon and so on, what we did is we implemented a, you know, the, 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 you know, digital process for this thing. And by doing that, we identified areas where we could actually dive in a little bit more, mm-hmm. right. Where we could add a little more efficiency, where we could take out steps to the process and make that better, where we could, you know, pull out some of the, some of the more administrative tasks and give that to a bot or whatever. Yeah. Right. And really, I think that, you know, uh, you know, in hindsight, of course, you know, perhaps a better, a better approach would be start small, start with the department, start and try to follow a similar sort of strategy where you are taking chunks of, you know, um, you creating, you, uh, you know, out of the, uh, of work out of each of these departments one by one, and then look to then, you know, uh, you, you know, scale that out as you kind of, uh, as you kind of go. Um, you know, trying to do everything at once or, you know, just, it's a, it's a, it's a fool's, it's a fool's errand. And, you know, I think that RPA can really, really assist that, right. You know, as solutions architect, you know, you know, you should have seen some of my very, you know, it was very fun to create all these lovely diagrams with 250 systems and the integration patterns between a lot of them. Right. But, you know, that was, you know, it was mega. Right. And, you know, the, the efficiencies that we did eventually start, start to get, we could have really realized those a lot earlier with the help of RPA where, you know, we can get some of that integration, you know, at a fraction of the cost, a fraction of the time as well. Yeah. Amazing. And there's so many good lessons in that, right? And I think, I mean, I guess hindsight's an amazing thing sometimes, but you had a few words that you used in there and chunk was one of them. And I always say to customers, uh, I'm never going to deliver a chunk that's bigger than 30 days for you because I truly believe if anything's over 30 days, you would have changed your mind where you would have seen the power of the automation. Actually, you would have thought of better ways to do it, right? So so I love that that you, you put in there. And it reminds me of working with a lot of insurance underwriters and brokers at this stage, right? And and one of the underwriters we started working with and we we're implementing RPA for them, it's a new world of work, right? So we took them along the journey of naming their bots and their digital worker and uh, basically 
what we said to them is we really want to start this in one department. So let's pick a department inside this massive insurance underwriter um, and let's focus on solving this problem really well. Um, and what that's led to is there was one going and it was going really well and it's, and it's actually live now and it's having some amazing benefits for them. That's led into a second stream. Now there's projects queued up behind that and there's probably going to be three or four or five or six streams now. But that's because we took people along for the journey and kind of they got used to the technology. Um, their colleagues in the room next door go, oh, look at Alfred, our botcher or whatever their bot's name are. I can't actually mention the names of their bots. But yeah, it's, it's just amazing to see that journey that they go on, right? Um, so talking about those underwriters, I mean, we're doing a big uh, kind of campaign or an education piece, as we call it, around the concept of a digital underwriter, right? And mm -hmm. I guess going back to your time at Aspen when you were leading the technology architecture strategy, I mean, how do you think your role would have been different or impacted with the presence of these types of hyper automation technology? Like you alluded to RPA and kind of what a great kind of addition that might have been, but there's obviously lots more low code platforms and things like OCR platforms that are easy to consume and use and extract data. I mean, that would have been kind of mind blowing for you back then, I would imagine, right? Look, Ed, look, absolutely. You know, and, you know, with, with you know obviously different types of insurance and so on the actual policy contract itself makes a big difference um you know being being at lloyd's where you where the broker brings you the actual uh, wording wording as well you need to check that to make sure that's adhering to your own guidelines and the guidelines of the market and making sure that you're not getting yourself into uh, yeah, a little bit of trouble missing out that line that the broker's squeezed in there to make the customer happy, but maybe not you, right? Um, so you know, yeah, we, we've absolutely dealt with this sort of um, sort of issue before. But you're right. I mean, you know, ideally, what you want to have is you want to have this really symbiotic relationship between these different capabilities, right? So you know the and people are in that in that as well, I might add. Mm -hmm. So you know, people get help with you know from their technology systems. Their contracts are read by a system through OCR that is cross-referenced against your clause library, against you know any other wordings, you know, wording contracts that you have, and so on to determine how good or how bad they are, right? To then go through to your pricing team to make sure that you know it adheres to to that too um uh to to then go through to your you know your uh, your other teams to to make sure that you can that you can you you can write this list at uh, this risk but how's it how's it get through how's it get into into those systems mm. right you need that that help from uh, the rpas and the low code workflow solutions which you have now to be able to do that and you know with with these solutions these days i mean yeah, just to put put this in perspective, I think I can I think I can say this because it's been a few few years now. You know, yeah, typical projects. Uh, you know, working for some of the companies that I that I was at before, would cost into the units of millions of pounds. Crazy. Some of them would be into the tens of millions of pounds. Right. Just think about that for a moment. Right now, you can understand the efficient the the amount of efficiency that you need to get out to make that worthwhile, which they were. Yeah. Right. So there's a lot of value there. Otherwise those projects wouldn't have gone along, but you know, the actual costs of these RPA and low code, you know, solutions. And when I say solutions, I don't just mean licensing costs. I mean, total cost of ownership, getting it in 
and starting to see value and not you know losing out on any opportunity cost as well which we haven't really spoken about right you know that for me is what the new rpa and low code solutions provide right that really low cost um uh, low cost of entry price point where you can really start getting the value out very very quickly yeah yeah it's it's amazing how much it's evolved over the last 10 or 15 years right and i always talk to customers about the concept of lego blocks because we kind of have all these lego blocks that we can use now and assemble things fairly quickly and then sometimes extremely quickly to get to an end solution or an outcome for a customer um which back in those days was obviously a little bit more challenging right so yeah it's interesting okay cool so after aspen right then i i saw you moved across to lancera now the name Lancera interested me, so I went and did some Googling or maybe even some digging <laughs> on the name. Um, yes. and I believe that it's a Swedish word that means, uh, that means launch, right? Correct. Okay. Correct. And, and now I know from sharing a beer or two with you in the London days, I remember you have some Swedish roots. Is that correct? That is correct. That is correct. So yeah, I mean, you know, for for, for Lancera was uh, was an interesting thing. So, um, you know, I did the unthinkable and read a book, um, and uh, the book's name was uh, The Lean Startup by a guy by the name of Eric Ries. And right. you know, for a long time, I I had an ambition of uh, starting starting my own uh, company and so on. And you know, Eric Eric's book really kind of opened up my eyes to the how to go about that. So I knew I had the means and the will. Now I, you know, I really had the kind of the blueprints of what I needed, what I needed to do. And you know, the reason why I got into insurance was that you know I wanted to fix this industry, and I basically just been frustrated for the last ten years, right? You know, it's very, very difficult. I found to change a culture that I think a lot of industries have, where people are, you know, resistant to change. Why do I need to do this? I've always done it this way, you know, like, you know, things are going well. I don't need to do things, don't need to do things differently. Even though you have a good idea or a, uh, you know, uh, you understand how to, how, how to improve things. It's that culture that is quite difficult to overcome. And I, I'd had enough. So um, I saw Blancero to, um, to do things differently, but I didn't feel that I had an idea that would really change the world. That's what I wanted to do. I wanted to start a, I wanted to start a company. I wanted to change the world, but I didn't have an idea. So that was a real problem, right? So I started Lancero to say, well, I will fulfill. I thought other people must have ideas, but they don't know how. But I do know how. So I'm going to go out there and I'm going to make people's ideas work, right? And so Lancero was a massive success like i did not i did not realize how many good ideas there were there were out there and there are a lot of good ideas but there's actually very few that are really going to change change the world and within two months of starting lancera i you know had i was speaking with one of my ex-colleagues and friends yeah. guy by the name of robert smithson who had just at that stage sold one of his businesses for 270 million dollars and, uh, you know, I'd asked him to be my mentor because he had started a few businesses before. And he said, hey, Murray, what about this idea? And that kind of led to the next step in um, and 
you know, a just a roller coaster of um, emotion and you know, events that have kind of taken me today. And that's really the story of just auto insurance. <laughs> Beautiful. I mean, what a great story, right? So, so let's move on to that story, right? So, so currently, as we said here today, you're the CTO and COO and co-founder of a company called Just Insure, right? And I'll just read out for the listeners a bit about Just Insure, and then you can tell us a bit more. So, Just Insure is a brand new paper mile auto insurance product that's just launched in Arizona, in the US. Um, it's released by the Los Angeles-based InsureTech, Just Auto Insurance Incorporated. And the new telematics-based solution targets the lower-income consumers with a quick prepaid product, which calculates premium based on individual risk and not demographic correlations. Right, so talk us through that. I mean, a very interesting idea. There are lots of detail and never talk us through it. Give us your elevator pitch. Yeah, uh, well, I, th- I think that's probably the, uh, like the insurance like version, the version of it. So I'll try, I'll try to do the layman's version as well, right? So, um, okay. So first of all, you know, having worked in the UK insurance market for some time, yeah, and yeah, I, I really considered the, the, Euro, the UK insurance market to be very broken, A uh, and a bit backwards when it came to when it came to technology, right? That's why I was there to fix it, right? Going over to the US, I realized that actually the UK was ahead massively in some some areas, and the US market was even more broken, which which made me very happy um, because of course what I saw was huge huge opportunity. Um, in the US, thirteen percent of people are uninsured for car insurance. Crazy. That is a that is an astonishing astonishing figure. Uh, you know, here in the in the UK it's less than 1 1% like many other western european countries. Um, to put that kind of into perspective that number of 13%, that's 35.4 million people. Right? That's 1.8 times the total amount of vehicles in Australia. <laughs> that's crazy. So, um, you know, they also have like, you know, you know, weird things like if you want insurance, car insurance, you have to call up an insurance broker. And Sean, no, it's not the 1990s. It is, it is 2020. Um, uh, you know, so uh, there's a lot of questions there, you know, like why, why is it that so many people in America are uninsured? Now, obviously there's a lot, there's a lot of reasons. Yeah, there's not as much public transport. You know, people of all income levels need to drive to work. Um, you know, but insurance is just very, very expensive. Yeah, and it really can be inobtainable. Um, you know, by people who have perhaps a bad credit history or don't live in the best in the best part of um, of, of town. And you know, what what we're really trying to do is we're trying to provide an insurance product that is much fairer to and accessible to a lot of to a lot of people right so how are we doing that so first of all it's a pay as you go product just like a cell phone plan so many folk in america what they'll do is they'll pay for their phone um, on a pay as you go basis they pay for their electricity on a pay as you go basis and lots of other utilities and bills like that so we catering to their needs of doing that. So very flexible in the way that it, on the way that it works. Um, we then charge per mile. So only on how much you actually use, right? So 
if your car is sitting in your garage like it is in COVID, you're not paying anything because you're not using it, Beautiful. right? Um, the price that you actually pay per mile, right, is really controlled by you as well. So how that works is our insurance product is all app-based, of course, right? So you can sign up in literally 60 seconds. Um, you got insurance and then we um, monitor your driving. We collect GPS tracks from, from your mobile phone that's fed into the, uh, the magic sausage machine that we have uh, in, in the back, which combines this information um, of the GPS tracks. We can determine your speed, for example, where you've been, the route you followed, et cetera, et cetera. But you know, we combine that with contextual information. So let me give an example, example about that, right? So you drive 50 in a 70 zone, right? Sounds pretty safe. Now, just to get that, you need some context there. The context is, you're driving on a road, driving 50 miles per hour or kilometers an hour, whatever, right? 70 zone, that means we're collecting the speed limit for that particular particular piece of road, right? Now, it sounds safe. Mm. It's not really so. It depends on context, right? Is it in the middle of the night? Is it raining heavily? Have you not had a break in three hours, right? Have you come back from a bar? All of that context changes how safely you are actually driving massively, right? Very different context to driving in the middle of the day, sunny road, no cars around you, right? So what we do is we, we have very sophisticated um, uh, uh, algorithms um, in back end, producing those scores and as a result of that, of course, producing the actual price that you, price that you pay uh, uh, as well. Um, and we don't use brokers, unfortunately, for your broking uh, community. We go, we go direct to, again, save a little bit of money there. Um, but we will be offering a product soon that will we'll, we'll be catering, uh, catering for that. So that's really like it's in a, um, you know, in a nutshell about the actual, about the actual product uh, itself. As you have rightly pointed out, you know, we've just launched in Arizona just a few, few weeks ago. Uh, things going really, really, really great. Um, you know, much better than what we had hoped it would be. I suspect that COVID has something to do with that as well, of course, yeah. because our product is really focused, uh, you know, uh, focused primarily on people who are cost conscious. And I don't think there's anyone right now who isn't looking to save a few, a few dollars on their, uh, on their household bills. So, um, you know, I think we pretty, pretty well placed and we'll be in all 50 States by the end of uh, 2024. I, what an amazing story, right? And it's, um, such a beautiful story from your journey and then through insurance and then combining it with the tech knowledge to come out with a great idea like this and something that is really, I guess, groundbreaking, very new, very innovative, and looks like that very soon it's going to be taking America and then hopefully the world by storm, right? So wish you all the best of luck with that. Sounds really exciting. Thank you. But so I, I mean, and funny enough, right? So I was, I was doing some research and um, I was looking through a list of insure tech startups on insure investor. And I noticed that just insure came up on that list. Were you aware of that? Uh, 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 yes, yes and no. Like after you had prompted, you know, during when you, when you notified me about, like about that earlier, I was like, did I know that? Like, that's crazy. Right, so uh, I had I had a look, and you know, with everything going on and so on, yeah, yes, we 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 we, we had we had learned that. But the you know the, the thing about the, the insurance market, you know, is because it's quite a tight knit 
uh, like industry, you know, everyone kind of knows everyone and so on. And, you know, when, you know, as, you know, innovation really shines through, you know, you cause a bit of a stir when this, when this sort of stuff, when this sort of stuff happens. I mean, well, one of our, one of our um, reinsurance partners, they, they said to us, you know, like, I'm not going to try and do American accent because I, I do terrible accents, but, um, you know, uh, so I'll, I'll stick to my, you know, South African, uh, English, whatever I, I have. And, um, yeah, he said, you know, like some people do like some things differently, but you do everything differently. <laughs> and, uh, it's, uh, it is true. We, we really are like, you know, trying to really disrupt this industry that for too long has just been sitting on its laurels and just been, you know, been coining it without really, you know, listening to large portions of, you know, it, its customers. And we really looking to, um, to help those folk to, you know, save, save some money, you know, and do things in a much, much better way. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. Right. So good. And I guess as you alluded to there, I mean, I guess in, in this insured tech model, I mean, you, you've actually removed the broker out of that step. Right. And that's obviously a core cool business strategy from your guys side to try lower the cost and remove some of the excess costs, which is awesome for the end consumer. Um, yeah. So, I mean, tell us about that. I mean, that was obviously a business decision you guys made pretty early on to bake it and use technology to your benefits in that scenario. Right. Well, like, you know, like to, to, to be, to be blunt, right? Like if we're looking to, to cut costs, you know, middlemen are likely to, are likely to, to lose out. Right. Saying that because of the historic nature of, um, of America, what we subsequently realized, right. Is that, um, of course, you know, agents are still very much a part of, of the market. Right. And so, uh, you know, we are, we absolutely right now provide a direct consumer product. You sign up during the app, um, uh, you know, and as I said, in, in 60 seconds, uh, but we are looking to uh, some uh, broker, broker or agents as they call it called in the U S mm-hmm. um, to you know, allow us to, uh, to, to scale. And, you know, some, some of these guys have uh, a significant, significant reach. I guess one of the challenges that you know kind of loops back to kind of the conversations we were having earlier and so on is, you know, whenever we're looking for a partner, we are not looking for partners who are looking for the old way, if you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah. Right. The concept of, you know, ringing up a broker uh, and then. Yeah, you know, sitting on the phone with someone for half an hour while they fill out a form that's you know hundred pages long, that's just not going to cut it. Yeah, right. We are looking for partners who absolutely are on the cutting edge. You know, and you know an example of that is yeah, I'm really excited to um, to say that we've signed with a partner that allows us to you know connect directly. To our to our customers' vehicles as well, obviously with consent, right? To allow us to make the experience for our customers even better than it is than it is right now, and it's those sort of things that you know really take us from you know being you know innovative to 
you know, really, really pushing the industry, uh, industry forward. That's amazing, right? And I, and I see similar down here, right? And as I mentioned, I mean, we do a lot of work with insurance underwriters, uh, but we do a lot of work with the insurance broker network as well. And I mean, when we started to get involved in the insurance broker network, my, my, I guess, predisposition on that whole thing was that they were maybe stuck in the old ways. But I've been very pleasantly surprised, I mean, especially down here in Australia, how forward thinking and how those types of people are looking to take and leverage technology to get, provide a better customer experience and do better for the consumer and use technology to remove the tedious, mundane, repetitive stuff. So, yeah, it is interesting how that's changed and everyone's kind of come along this digital transformation journey, right? It is, you know, and I think that, you know, like, you know, certainly the, the agents of brokers that we're really interested in, you know, they need to be insure tech companies. Yeah. Right. Proper insure tech companies. And I really, you know, want to make a point on that as well. You know, the insurance element is obviously crucially, crucially important. And that's why it comes first. But in terms of the tech, you know, integration number one automation you know number two you know those sort of things you know you have to have a really quality set of apis that will be able to hook up to you know aws gcp azure you know PubSub, you know whatever right to really allow you know you know other forward-thinking insurance insurance companies to you know very very quickly and easily link up to you and a lot of those sort of like value add um, uh, you know, where I really see a lot of value with, uh, with brokers is providing some of that, um, uh, uh, some of, some of those kind of administrative tasks or administrative things that you need to do as, as a carrier or as, as an insurance insurance company. But, you know, some of those kind of be, can be offloaded onto the actual, onto the actual broker as well. The know your, the know your customer uh, type things, the fraud checking, the, yeah, all the all the other kit and caboodle. Some of that, of course, we have to do ourselves, but a lot of it can can really be, um, you know, provided by by the by the agent or, or broker too. Yeah, amazing, right? And it is. I mean, all those great things like API access and the ability to easily uh, and intelligently automate. I kind of I've started to talk to customers about that. That's just really permission to play now. Right? That's just expected that you have those things. Like it's just permission to play, and then you need to innovate and do things on top of that, right? Well, I think it's exactly right. You know, I think for you know, we're obviously a bit of a different bit of a different beast. But you know, if if I had had a chat to a broker and they had to say to me, oh, sorry, we don't have any APIs, it'd be a goodbye. Yeah. It, it's gone beyond a nice to have to a must have um, to, you know, just get in, get in the door. Yeah, exactly that. Yeah, interesting. So and, and speaking about InsureTech, right? So what do you think the next big game changer is in InsureTech? So, you know, I'll, I'll be, I'll be, I'll be a bit um, greedy here and, uh, you know, think think about you know what what's coming next. Well, or the big things for the the car or auto insurance um, uh, like uh, uh, industry, and you know everyone kind of jumps to you know auto- autonomous vehicles and so on. But I actually think there's a a big stepping stone be- between that. You know, and you know, autonomous vehicles. You know, uh, Elon has said for many for many years now. It's it's coming next year. We're going to be there. You know, and they're only a stage level two of level or four levels of, of, 
of automation. And you know, it's really, really, really difficult to go up a level in, uh, you know, for for that in autonomousness or you know, you know, for 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 vehicles. There's so much that can go wrong, and particularly so if you're trying to work on an individual car. An individual car looking out for everything is actually really, really, really hard. Yeah. Where systems really work well, or you know, where robot, uh, you know, robots or systems can have a massive advantage over humans, is of course communication. Being able to speak together, right? So that, and and that is for me a critical, critical area. It's on that, you know, on cars being connected, and you know, a lot of our vehicles now. You know, can now you know phone home, you know, tell the the actual OEM or vehicle manufacturer you know where they are, um, you know what problems they're having, all that sort of stuff. Uh, but the next kind of level to that, of course, is having these cars talk to each other, mm-hmm. right? Or having systems in place where you can effectively get this mesh or this network or this graph, really, where you're having the cars talk to each other and. You know, that is going to be an utter, utter game changer because no matter if it's a, um, if it's a human driving or if it's the onboard computer drive, driving, driving the vehicle, all of a sudden you're going to have the vehicles themselves starting to talk to each other. Is a collision likely? You know, what speed am I going? You know, you start talking about like, you know, are many you know, more uh, you know, fancy cars You've got the lane assist and brake assist and all these other things, right? Well, you know, that's again from a single vehicle perspective. Think about like what happens when you've got these cars talking to each other in those scenarios, right? That is an absolute game changer. And I think that that will significantly, significantly decrease the amount of accidents um, uh, on our roads. And really that resonates a lot with lot with me you know sean i know that you know you like me growing up in south africa every holiday period um we would have thousands of people dying on south african on south african roads and i'm sure you like me have been touched by someone relatively or close to you dying on those sort of roads and you know um our one of our real values um that we have at just is making those roads safer reducing the amount of accidents and so on. And, you know, we want to go well past insurance. We want to, you know, be there to provide those real-time you know, alerts to folks to say, hey, you know, you're getting too close to the car in front of you. Hey, there's a, a spot on the road up ahead um, that has been prone to accidents recently. People jump, jump, jumping lights there be careful, right? It's those sort of value adds that we think that could, again, really, really change the game um, and, you know, make, you know, change the world. Yeah. I mean, what a beautiful story, right? I'm sold. When are you coming to Australia is my next question. <laughs> well, yeah, uh, yeah. America's quite a big place, but um, yeah, and there's, and there's lots, you know, it's, a, it's a big market, but we absolutely have ambitions to, to go international. Australia has already being earmarked as a place that we would absolutely love to operate. Um, and, you know, hopefully we're there soon. 
Yeah, awesome. All right, great. So, yeah, I mean, I think that's been such a good journey through where where you are now. And maybe just to end off, I mean, I think some of the things you picked I picked up on there was this concept of the connected nature of things and cars talking to each other in the example you gave us. Um, and it often, it comes back to a concept we often talk to people about, and that's the concept of a digital twin, right? And I think you alluded to that with Alfred and, and a few other things. Um, but there's, there's kind of this concept going around at the moment called a robot for every person. And that sounds a bit freaky. It sounds a bit Terminator-ish with uh, these robots working around. But the robot in that context is actually referred to one of these software bots or software agents that sits on your machine and it does the clicks that you and I as humans would do with the whole goal, takes care of those tedious, mundane, repetitive tasks, and obviously frees our time up as humans to perform high value tasks. So have you, have you come across that concept in your world, a robot for every person? I, I, I absolutely have. And you know, look, look I, I, I'm sold just, just on that. I mean, you know, I would love to have you know, a, a personal assistant like Samantha in the movie, in the movie Her. But maybe without the ending where the ARs go off to plot, to plot the downfall of man, right? But um, in, all, in all seriousness, I mean, yes, you know, um, I think that, uh, you know, that I think the idea of, of that sort of a thing would add a lot of value to a lot, a lot of folk. And, you know, in, in, in the just kind of journey, you know, we're, we're just starting, starting out. We are around about 27 people strong currently right and we're going to be expanding massively over the next few years as part of that journey of course right we are going to you know you know me sean i love a good efficient process right but you know we are going to have those transitions where we're going going to go from manual processes to maybe a bit more kind of grown up digital type type of processes and so on. And, you know, during those transitions, it's going to be tough. There's going to be lots of areas of the business where we are going to run out of time to do things. And that's where the digital assistants, I believe, you know, where this, where, where these digital twins really come, come into, uh, come to, come to the fore, right? Providing time for people to do these, to do, what they're there to do and not really, you know, not wasting, but, you know, not the more administrative or mundane tasks taking up, you know, you know, more uh, of their, of their time than it really, than it really should. And, you know, we are really seeing this, um, you know, now, you know, we really wanting to like push down the accelerator, excuse the pun, you know, of the, you know, and, and really get going. And, um, they're, you know, across our entire business, you know, whether it's claims, underwriting, you know, the tech team, the design team, our data science team, you know, uh, definitely finance. Um, and, you know, all of them are going to go through the same sort of, same sort of process. So, um, yeah, you're going to get a ring from me soon. Um, uh, so I, if that, if that was, if that was the fish, yeah, yeah, I, I'm, I'm hooked. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. And, and maybe just extending it a little bit out from, from perhaps your company. I mean, do you see this concept of digital twins adding any value in the wider insurance market or in fact, any industry out there? Like how do you see that playing into the bigger picture? Oh, you can definitely apply this to pretty much everything, can't you? I mean, you know, I think, I think every office worker um, 
uh, you know has has this sort of has this sort of thing. And you know, if if you like um, uh, me or, uh, or or my wife, and having to jump on Zoom calls every two seconds to you know have the have the have the next meeting and so on, you know, I think people during COVID have really realised the you know the the importance of time time to you know some, some time that they got back from not having to do the commute to spend time with their families or uh, and so on on the good side on the bad side having to spend so much time on you know video conference calls and uh, and the like with 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 team members and so on you know time is just being eaten up right when's the time that we actually get to do stuff right that really adds value and i think that the Again, that the digital twin provides that ability to make time. Yeah, that that doesn't come around uh, you know, a lot, um, and you know that that's really be applicable to really anyone. Yeah, you know, who who would be you know normally sitting sitting in an office and probably sitting at home now in their home office or on their bed or on the or in their living room or in the garden trying to get away from. Uh, you know, other family members who were on TV or working from home as well. Yeah, crazy, right? What a great way to end off. And, and as you were just talking through that, I looked behind me and uh, for, I guess, the podcast listeners, they won't be able to see this, but this is a, a copy of the Forbes magazine. And on the front cover is a gentleman by the name of Daniel Dinez, and he they refer to him as the boss of the bots, right? And this guy, <laughs> similar to what Bill Gates, he had a vision for the world to put a computer on every desktop in the world. Um, Daniel Dinez is the CEO of UiPath. He has a vision that of a robot for every person, right? And what he means by that mm-hmm. is a digital twin or a digital assistant for every person. Mm-hmm. So yeah, maybe next time we chat, maybe we'll you'll have your own Alfred. I've already called mine Little Gang, so I've already got my yeah. to do stuff. Um, yeah. Very good. Very good. Right. I think that's been absolutely awesome, right? I really appreciate your insights, your thoughts, taking us on your journey through kind of some of your career and obviously the exciting place you're at now. Um, I think it's really relevant for many of our listeners on InsureTech and how you're combining the worlds of insurance and technology to come up with these really innovative um, solutions. And uh, I look forward to maybe an, an interview again in another year and finding out how you progress in the US and hopefully globally by then. Um, so yeah, just before I say goodbye, do you have any last closing thoughts, comments, anything you want to listen, uh, leave the, the listeners with? No, not really. I mean, I think, yeah, well, actually, of course, I've got something to say. Um, yeah, I think, you know, just that, uh, the, the thing that I would love to leave people with is, it, you know, is some of the kind of like lessons that I learned, right. And let's go back to that, you know, don't spoil the ocean. Right. Start off. Start. Start off small. Don't lose the opportunity um, to to get to get to get value. Um, you know, sooner rather than later. And try, test out things. Try different things with, you know, with the cost of these sort of innovations coming down all the time. You now have the ability to try things out without, you know, breaking the bank. Right. Try it out. See what works for you. Right, on things that do work, do more, do more of it, and get those efficiencies out, um, and you know, drive your business forward. Yeah, beautiful. What a beautiful way to end, Murray. Thank you very much once again for your time and uh, for taking the time out. I know you're busy and running around all over the place, um, so thanks once again, and we'll speak to you soon. You're most welcome, Sean. Thanks very much for having me. Cheers. 
Be part of the community and join the Automation Alliance at www.automationalliance.com.